there are certain skills that leaders need to learn, both soft skills, you know, emotional intelligence skills, but also hard skills, like how to lead a team, like literally how to lead a team, how to manage conflict, how to communicate so that you're heard. All of these things that are crucial in running an organization. And then, of course, I do a lot of, you know, business consulting, you know, how to write a business plan and how to, you know, how to manage and, and, and you know, different areas of a business. There's so much to do with leadership. But and then when to step back and when to um, delegate, I mean, and when to grow. So all these things, there's a lot to learn being a leader. And if people really want to do it right, they need to study and read and listen to podcasts like yours, because that's going to add to their ability to lead. Welcome to the Secrets of Success podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Leadership, leadership, leadership. You know, there just seems to be a lack of that globally at all levels, um, organizations, certainly politically. Uh, and so today's guest, Dr. Lori Baker Skeena, is talking about leadership and some of the components around leadership and what's missing around leadership. And then we also spend a little bit of time with her personal story, which, whoa, um, Imagine being a 12-year-old and losing your mother to cancer and not actually even knowing uh, even the day before that she passed away that that's how sick she was because people had sort of held that back from her. That being said, my encouragement is for you is the only person you could be responsible for is yourself. I mean, all of us want to change other people around us. I know that. I'm guilty of it as well as others. However, the only person that you can control is yourself. And so my encouragement in that space is that if you already haven't taken one of our online courses, then to consider that, to get into it. And it's an honor as more and more people are taking our online courses, they're saying, Ken, this was transformational. This was amazing. This was something that will change my life forever. Now, we are mentioning the Quest for Purpose course in this podcast, which is really my life's work, and it's there to give you clarity in a journey. But there's many other courses of there. Why aren't you more like me? Uh, what do you really value? Dying to live, et cetera, et cetera. So I don't know when you're listening to this podcast. could be two years after we posted it. Uh, but we have many online courses at crgleader.com. Go to the online courses in the CRG Academy and engage in one of those and transform your life. Now, as always, thank you for being a Secrets of Success listener. If you like what we're doing, please pass it on. Leave a positive comment on whatever platform you are on. And, that just, and also, give us feedback. If you like an episode, let us know. I mean, the mystery of a podcast is you never know who's listening where or what. And so we always love to hear from our listeners if you have a moment just to share with us. So again, thank you for listening. And here's our guest, Dr. Lori Baker-Skeena. Welcome to the Secrets of Success podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Well, we think about the world today, and what is one of the things that's really, well, maybe missing? And I would suggest, 
this is my bias, is that it might be leadership. Well, we can backfill that today with our guest, Dr. Lori Baker. Jenna, did I say that right? Beautiful Lori? job. Beautiful job, yeah, Dr. Man, yeah. Not bad for a dyslexic guy. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so, Lori, thanks for being on the show with us. Much appreciated. And uh, since you've listened to some of the shows in Secrets of Success podcast, uh, listeners have come to expect we need to hear your story. So you come from us from uh, from um, California at the moment, but uh, let's go let's let's uh, uh, go backwards in time, back to the future, and just uh, look about where did you where did you grow up? What was sort of like your family life when growing up like? Uh, Ken, what a great question, and thank you for having me on your amazing show. I want to say hello to your audience. They're very lucky to have you as a host. You okay, just, well, thank you. Thank really, you, everybody. I, uh, I said to Lori, free book if she says something like that for me, but anyway. <laughs> no, but seriously, it's, you know, we have to take a pause. I'm, I'm, I'm a big one thank as you. a leader to pause and reflect, and it's, some, it's also important for podcast hosts who really are doing such a service, and I, I know that your audiences appreciate you very much. Um, Ken, have you ever seen the movie Dazed and Confused? I, I don't recall. Okay, well, maybe your listeners have, but it's, it took place in 1976 when, when things were crazy. That's the year I graduated high school, and so I always laugh at that because I grew up in the 70s, uh, which, was a, which, of course, dates me. I'm, I'm very transparent. I'm 62, but I grew up in the San Fernando Valley in the 1970s. I'm a valley girl. And I, uh, I haven't really gone far. I, I still live in the general area. But I grew up in a, in a very interesting family. Um, I had two older siblings who were disabled. And I uh, was born and I had to kind of carry the family uh, crown, so to speak. So that's a whole other discussion about what it is as a caretaker and the expectations on a child who, is, who arrives in the world with expectations. So uh, when I was 12, my mom died and of cancer and my father was a, such an incredible man and he really raised my sister and my brother, my older sister and brother and, and myself. Uh, and so that was a, one of the most profound moments of my life is to lose someone that young. I ended up uh, going to college so and I, I just, wanted to be a new... take a breath there, Lori. Okay. And, um, <laughs> All right, and, and the reason being is, of course, um, interesting enough. I'm, I have an amazing daughter-in-law that my son married, and her mom passed away when she was 13. Mm-hmm. And of course, uh, we just know how, like you say, a significant event this is. Uh, just take us through, since you're a leadership coach now, and you help people through sort of life's journeys. What can you teach the audience about this event for you? Well, it was very interesting because, first of all, back in 1970, no one talked about cancer. So when, she, when my mother got it in 1968, she was diagnosed with ovarian cancer, and no one said anything to me. I knew she was kind of sick, but I didn't know that what was going on. And in her final days, when she was in the hospital, my father came and I went to see her, and hugged her, and, and my father said, well, say goodbye, and, and so I said goodbye, and then a day later, um, he comes to me, and he says that she's gone, she's dead, and I had no idea she was sick, that sick, and so, so I went wow. through a lot of therapy in terms of closure, because I never had a chance to say goodbye to my mom, and mm. I think that 
all of us who are, I really, it really, Ken, this really hit home with me with COVID because so many people died in the hospital alone and they mm. couldn't say goodbye to their loved ones. Mm. And I, and I actually know some people too who, who did that. And that sense, you know, and, and when people die in accidents and tragically, and there's no chance to say goodbye, it is very, very difficult for the people who are left behind. And something that's something I just always, it, I finally came to grips with it's been 51 years. Um, but it, you know, you come to grips with, as a per, as a young person, and as an older person, because that closure is, is so important. So that that's a profound loss. And I, I, what I did with that loss is I learned how to grieve, and then when people lost their loved ones and went through it, I was able to really help them cope with that grief. And I still do that to this day. I, I when someone dies, I I call up and I say I go right into it. How are you doing? And what can I do? And I'm not I don't tiptoe around it because it's, it's it's real for me. Mm-hmm. And so um so and and I have to say to fast forward, my sister and brother have also passed. They passed of uh, cancer. My sister had breast cancer and my brother um, had liver cancer. So uh, in their 50s. And so coping with that and going through that was, you know, then my father's death. So I've had a lot of loss, but I've turned that loss into something that I can help others cope with. So that's kind of what shaped me. Uh, you know, no one really talks about this. It's great talking about it, Kim, but that's what shaped me as a leader and as a coach is that empathy of loss and how you deal with it and go on despite the pain and despite the grief. Mm-hmm. Well, we've all have stories. Um, my girlfriend was um, not, this is your show, not mine, but uh, my girlfriend was murdered when I was uh, 21. Oh. She was, uh, she was 19 or was she 20 and I was 22. I just forget at the moment, but uh, I, I get that understanding where you, you don't get to say goodbye. You don't, you, you've got this gap where, uh, you know, I have unfinished business. So, yes. uh, you know, thanks for being open and, and sharing that story with us. Now you alluded to your dad was, he was amazing and he really helped you, the three of you sort of transition from that. What was it that he was doing that was um, so valuable to you? First of all, Ken, I am so sorry. I mean, my breath, I, that took my breath away when you said that, because you were so young. Uh, well, it was 1982, so not that much different than when you were going through it with your mom. And so many, many years ago now and process that. But, yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, that's, I mean, it's tough. It's just, it's just tough. Um, my father was an amazing man. He, um, he was born in 1919, and he was, was a World War II vet. And he was one of the most positive people I know. And he was also one who could hold a conversation with anyone. And he had a great sense of humor. And uh, he just was, who really put confidence into me. I was bullied as a child and that's what part of my story. I uh, had, you know, buck teeth and, and glasses and, you know, the kids, the kids were so mean. They even uh, made a song about me and would sing it, you know, in elementary school, but I would go home and my dad would be just so, so positive about what I could do and, and, and the things that I could contribute to the world. And he, he always, he never, which is not always good, but he never really let me be sad. He always, you know, said, let's stay positive. There's so much more out there. And I think that ability really got me through those tough years as, as being bullied and the tough years of losing my mom and really allowed me to have the confidence to finally, you know, to live a life with passion and purpose 
and doing the things that I really want to do and, and fearless, you know, Ken, because one of the things I, I, I talk about in my leadership coaching is being fearless. And so all those things, you know, he helped me. He was, he was really a role model and he, uh, he was tremendous. I was very close to my father. Oh, well, thank you for that. Now, after high school, you went off to university and uh, where did you go and what did you take and why did you take it? Like, you know, those were the days of Watergate and I really wanted to be a you know, investigational journalist. So I ended up becoming a journalism major in college and I thought I was going to, you know, be the big, and, and in college I did a lot of wonderful investigative work and I, and I busted some people heads, you know, I got a few things going there. It was really fun. But then I got into the real world of, of newspapers and I, at six months after I was in there, I realized this is just not for me because the freedom you have as a college student is not this freedom you have on a newspaper in the real world. And it, of course, newspapers are business. So there was a lot of things that I couldn't report about. And there were a lot of things that just didn't, didn't work for me. So um, I decided to do a pivot in my life and, and go into public relations. But I always tell and I always tell people <laughs> that whatever, you know, especially young people, whatever you do in school and a university, you don't necessarily have to do that as a career. And as a matter of fact, you can think about things you can do throughout your life because if you're lucky you'll live a long life and you can have several careers and that's exactly what happened to me because I I was a journalist for two years but I've been in public relations and marketing for uh, forever and I never took one class in those two two subjects in college so that's so I just pivoted into uh, healthcare actually healthcare marketing and public relations and I started my business um, when I was 29 and, and it's still it's still going just a little bit I have one client left but I've pivoted quite a bit since then but that's what I did I just decided journalism wasn't for me and I but I love to write and so that's what I ended up doing mm. well communicating is communicating is communicating isn't it yes absolutely so with that uh, you went into the corporate world, but then you left around age 29. Uh, what was uh, what drove that decision, and where did you get the courage to do it? Uh, Ken, I'll tell you. I realized that I could not be micromanaged, and I did not flourish uh, with bosses. I just I don't know what it was, but. I just couldn't, the politics I wasn't prepared for in, in the corporate world, and I, which is important to, to note. And also, I just didn't like to be heavily supervised because I was a very hard worker. And I worked hard and I, and I was self-motivated. So I, re, and on top of that, I was getting married. Um, and so I, so I, so there's that. I was miserable in my job, and then my my fiance had two little girls who uh, needed uh, a mom. He had full custody of them, and they were six and seven at the time. So I thought, what can I do that I can watch these girls and really be able to work hard and not have to answer to anybody? So um, I took the plunge. This was back in 19, 1987, which was a recession then, and uh, worked hard the year before, got an MBA and worked hard, got clients, and then I decided to start my own business. And I always tell people that when I did that, I left a very big organization, and people said to me, to my face, that I'm going to fail. Uh, you're, not, you're never going to be able to make a living doing this by yourself. And I thought and thought to myself, well, what's the worst that could happen if I fail? Will I starve? No. Will I get a disease? No. Will I, you know, be horribly miserable? Not necessarily. 
and worst comes to worst, I'll just get another job. So I took the plunge, and a year later, I, was, I had doubled my salary and had never looked back. But there's so many learning lessons about not listening to the haters and having faith in yourself and preparing for a move like that. All these things have really given me, made me who I am. And that was a big move when I was 29. Well, you think about it, Laurie, and congratulations on having the courage to kind of step out in spite of what everybody was saying. And of course, now with social media, you, you uh, have uh, public haters versus the ones that are inside the wall. Yes. So um, interesting question as two people who work in the area of uh, OD and leadership and organizational development and psychology, uh, what do you think drives people? to say that to you. In other words, uh, so what's the benefit of this? Oh, well, you're never going to make it, Lori. So what do you think is the underlying dysfunction with them that's causing them to even say that to you or to others that are listening to this, this show? Right. Well, I think that people project, and I'm not a psychologist, but I know that people project their fears. You know, I'm a cancer survivor myself, Ken, and I re- and remember when I got cancer. This is about eight years ago. And I was not a Hodgkin's lymphoma. And, you know, a lot of people were real sympathetic to it, you know, like, I'm really sorry. But a lot of people wanted to know the details, because they were afraid that it might happen to them. Like, it wasn't like, what's going on with you? But what's what is it? What maybe it'll happen to me? Does that I don't know if that makes sense. But the way people approach other people is from their perspective and they might have a lot of damage in their past a lot of fears in their past and instead of and instead of learning how to be an encourager as a child and a supporter they never learn those skills so you combine the lack of ability to be an encourager combined with fears that people are projecting and you're going to get these type of haters because I, in my dna if someone's going to try something not only am i not going to bash it, but I'm going to say to you, what can I do to help? But that's not in everybody's toolkit. Not everybody can do that. So I think it truly, when people come at you like that, and what they're thinking is that you really have to, I always say, consider the source. Some people just can't be happy for you. It's just not in, in, they just don't have those skills. So that's why we really need to be internally focused. Mm. Uh, there's a statement I've used on this show about a hundred times and it said, everybody has an opinion. Very few people have wisdom. Exactly. Of course, the last person you want to listen to is somebody who says, well, Lori, your business isn't going to succeed and they've never had a business of their own. I said, well, hang on. Uh, Where's this coming from? So you, in spite of that, you stepped out. Now you said you doubled your income in the first 12 months. So what was driving that immediate success for you. In other words, I know working hard is fine, but there's many people who have worked hard and still not had that level of success so quickly. So what was sort of an anchor point? What, what do you think were some of the characteristics, quality strategies that caused you to be so successful so quickly? I'll tell you, it was charging hourly and charging. So I would put in, let's say 60 hours of work in my quote unquote real job and have a salary and and get what I got. But when I put 60 hours into my new job, I was getting paid 60 hours worth of work and that paid off. Does that make sense? Mm. So you were, you, instead of being a social enterprise on behalf of the other uh, corporation, you actually got paid the hours that you were putting in. 
Exactly. And, you know, I, I probably, and I probably could have made more, but I probably didn't, you know, I was, I need a lot of, you know, introductory work because I was just starting out. But if you, if everyone in the audience, if you think about it, if you really work 60 hours a week and you, and you charge those 60 hours a week, you're going to be making the money that's going to double your salary. I mean, it just is. It just, it's just a, unless you're making ginormous amounts of money. But as a, as a person who was in the field for about, um, I don't know, uh, you know, five years, I wasn't making an enormous amounts of money. I was making a livable income, but I was working so hard anyway, Ken, and, and not getting any a recognition, which was really important for me and B the money. So by, having these great clients and working super hard and charging for my time, I was able to double my salary. It was amazing. Cool. Cool. So you were in this space of marketing for many, many years, but now you're into leadership. Uh, Talk to us about the transition and when that occurred and what was driving that. Well, one of my favorite parts of my life is I was a professor, a full professor, um, part-time for many years, and then a full professor. And when I was about 31, I got a call from my department chair saying that they needed an emergency hire to teach news writing, which I thought, uh, you know, everybody, I don't know if any of your listeners know this, but there's no people who teach at the university level, at least in the United States, you don't, you don't need a teaching credential. You just need a higher degree. So there, no one's ever trained how to be a teacher as a professor. Mm-hmm. You just learn around the way. We, we've so, all been in those classes. Laura. Yes. It's obvious they don't know how to teach. Students. Yes. And that's why, Ken. I mean, it's just, it's a, I think it's a crime. But anyway. Absolutely. So, so, I, so I said, okay, I'll give it a shot. I'm one to just, what, I mean, again, what's the worst that can happen? I can fail. The kids will hate me and I'll just never do that again. But, and I was so nervous the first day I would like, was shaking, taking the role. I'll never forget that. But I absolutely loved it. And so I ended up teaching for about 15, 17 years part-time while I was doing my marketing business. And then I decided that I was very interested in leadership. So I went and went later in life when I was about 48 and I got my doctorate in organizational leadership. At the same time, I went full time as a professor because I thought, you know what? I'm really enjoying this. So uh, I worked full time and so a total of 25 years. And in my classroom, I taught marketing, but I also taught motivation. I mean, I was a motivational speaker for these kids because they never really, I taught at Cal State Northridge and no one ever encourages students that to do what they want to do and, and to, and to be what they want to be. And so we did all this like self-confidence stuff. Um, and my students ha- have gone on to incredible professions. And so I did that and I realized I really like this motivational speaking thing. So then, of course, I, the cancer I just talked about, my, I got suddenly got, uh, he was hit by cancer and I realized, and this cancer will come back and, and so uh, it hasn't yet, but it will. And so I realized, you know, life's short and I really want to get this message out to more people. I really want to speak on a bigger stage and I really want to help leaders up their game. So I, I quit. I left a full-time tenured position at a university and I started uh, my company uh, as, as a speaker and then another company especially for women called Lead Hership Consortium which is um, which helps women leaders and I've done that for eight years and and here I am I'm just enjoying the journey and and helping 
people be better leaders because nobody teaches people how to lead. There's some, you might have some natural leaders, but most of us out there have never had a, a leadership class where you learn how to lead. Mm. And it is one of the expertise that we have here. So I get that. I understand that. Uh, there, yeah, interesting. My wife worked at a university, academic coach, and um, the number one place that lacked leadership was the university. <laughs> There's the, no the, question. The, the, the administration there was just, it was horrible. Yeah. It was horrible. It's it dysfunctional. So we have all these educators are trying to lead or whatever. And just um, in the end, actually, one of the reasons she left was this leadership was so bad. People in their 50s and 60s were in tears just over how they were being treated. That's just mm -hmm. how pathetic it was so what have you learned so now that you're on this journey and congratulations on on making the shift and just sort of uh, upping your game in, independently here what have you learned about leadership that would be helpful for the audience today I think first of all we have to realize that we need to learn how to lead and the reason why I say that is because Everybody knows someone who got promoted because they did really well at their job. So you, you do well at your job and then you get promoted, but you're never taught the skills that you, and you know this again, this is your business, but you don't, you're not taught the skills. So all of a sudden you're supervising people okay. and you're sucking at it because you don't know what the heck you're doing. Mm -hmm. So um, I, I believe that there are certain skills that leaders need to learn both soft skills, you know, emotional intelligence skills, but also hard skills, like how to lead a team, like literally how to lead a team, how to manage conflict, how to communicate so that you're heard. All of these things that are crucial in running an organization. And then, of course, I do a lot of, you know, business consulting, you know, how to write a business plan and how to, you know, how to manage and, and, and you know, different areas of a business. There's so much to do with leadership. But and then when to step back and when to um, delegate, I mean, and when to grow. So all these things, there's a lot to learn being a leader. And if people really want to do it right, they need to study and read and listen to podcasts like yours, because that's going to add to their ability to lead. Mm. So take us through some of these skills that you were mentioning, which is, you know, links to the work that we're doing as well. But I love uh, a colleague who's, you know, playing around in this space is uh, what are some of the things that you are coaching or teaching or speaking about for these people specifically in terms of uh, skill development? One of them is how to lead a team and how to how to help a team be functional and work together. So we talk we I teach leaders how to set norms and help help team members set norms so people know what's expected in the teamwork and also how to motivate teams so that they're just not meeting every week and they're like robots but there's passion there's there's buy-in how okay, to so uh, let's just yeah. let's just drill into that one for a moment Lori, and just say okay i'm a company owner i've got a team that i'm having to lead and they're not motivated you take me through some of the things you would teach me on that well the first thing i would do and what i do in companies is i find out what there, I take a personal um, audit. If, if it's a small enough company, even if it's a larger company, I'll take an audit on what the perception is of the team in terms of if their needs are getting met with 
if they feel a they're appreciated b they know what they're doing c they feel they're they're compensated d what the dysfunctions are of the company so it's really important for me to 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 get a the landscape of what what the company needs then i i I look at the culture take a deep dive with the culture and if the leader is having is is working towards a culture of excellence or or what you know what they're thinking and what their needs are so it takes a real big audit of a company before you can start going in there and making suggestions but once you do that it's really important that you you be sure that your employees first thing is to communicate and that they understand why they're working where they're working the contributions they're making both to society and to the company and see their value. These are the things that we focus on first because that employee appreciation component is crucial to get the buy-in so that the leader can lead them where they need to lead. Mm. I want to delve in just a little bit for the audience purposes. I'm, I'm playing with you a little bit here, Lori, where um, I've had the fortunate opportunity to hang out with Marshall Goldsmith on an invite-only event in New York, uh, with you know as one of the top leadership coaches in the world, and of course he has the stakeholder feedback. I'm curious to hear from you about what a leader thinks is going on and what the audit reveals, and and how that has gone, and in some of the misperceptions or or how the audit process uh, what what they discover that they really the leader didn't see coming oh it happens you wouldn't you wouldn't believe especially when you say everything's confidential and it's and and you have this but the leaders they 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 don't understand what they they don't understand they have no clue that their employees are feeling underappreciated a and that they have a lack of direction you know i think i don't quite know why this is so widespread? Maybe you can tell me that, Dr. Kim. But they the, the just have no idea how, the, you know, they're just not happy. The employees aren't happy, but they're also directionless. And mm-hmm. third, that the employees don't understand why they're working for this company. Mm-hmm. And so, so the disconnect is the 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 CEO and the C-suite thinks they're communicating their values, and they're not. So they're not either not they're not holding regular meetings. They're not touching base with their their employees. They're not understanding their customers' needs. The, I think the biggest thing is the lack of communication and the lack of mindfulness and self awareness of these of these executives. Which is why when they come and ask me to you know for an audit, that's really that's a great big step. But you'll find, and I know you know this too, Doctor Ken, that some leaders. Uh, quote-unquote leaders won't even do this because they have no self-awareness that there's anything wrong so that's like mm-hmm. the first step right but mm-hmm. but uh, but I think that it's that lack of communication within a company and the lack of awareness uh, are you familiar with dr. Tash's book uh, insights uh, Cash's or it's Cashman the, uh, dr. Tasha Yurik Oh, no, no. Okay, so out of Denver, I'm just going to recommend it. I think okay. the listeners have know that I, I quote her constantly because she's been on my show a couple of years ago. But she wrote the book Insights, and this will be interesting for your own um, uh, research with and work with your clients, is they said, what percentage of people believe that they know themselves 
in my my perception of self an opinion of self is equal to how you experience me and so 95% of people said that yeah, yeah yeah I know myself I'm mindful I'm emotionally intelligent yada 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 then she had her students go out and do research and interview the people around you Lori and say okay what percentage of people agreed with the other person's self-awareness and their perception of self? What do you think that number was? I'm sure it was hugely different. Maybe like 15, 25? 10%. 10, oh my word. Yeah, so 85% of people are delusional. So, so that's <laughs> why, and that's of course why uh, Marshall Goldsmith's stakeholder feedback works so well. And that's really an audit format too. We have a leadership 360 assessment tool. Right. Is is uh, to be vulnerable enough to say what is really really going on. And uh, I don't know. Do you ever find that sometimes leaders get defensive when they get this feedback that says, "Oh, by the way, there's huge gaps here." I'm really good at presenting it. <laughs> <laughs> but they could. They could. They, right? they definitely could be defensive. But you know, I I have a way. I have to say, I have a way of helping people get get beyond their defenses and understand that the the news I'm giving them is only going to enhance them. So mm-hmm. it's truly, I think, one of my gifts is that, um, and I, did you ever hear of nonviolent communication? Have you, NVC? I've heard of it, yes. Yeah, well, that's one of the things that I, uh, that I, uh, and I kind of blanket on the guy's name, it's Rosen something, and he's, it's just nonviolent communication, you can look it up, but it's an old, he's, he's passed now, but it is just about how to how to get your needs met without getting people's defenses up, and it's a great skill that I teach and that I love. But working with working with executives, it's crucial that you gain their trust and letting them know that what comes up in these counseling and coaching sessions are going to really help them, and it's not a reflection on like a, a direct reflection it's more of a insight so that's one of my favorite things to do is to break bad news because <laughs> i'm really i think i'm really good at it and i love watching light bulbs well, go on when people finally let that go pardon this is the communications major and professor at work yeah so uh, that's you doing well it's interesting the other thing that i uh, for the audience members and i think this is important is the audit actually doesn't create the results. It only reveals what is already true. Exactly. And so, you know, if you go to your doctor and say, oh, by the way, your blood pressure is high, yeah, sometimes blood pressure can go up because you're nervous about it. However, it didn't make it uh, terrible because you went to the doctor. It was that way before you arrived. So that's part of the audit process is being in denial doesn't mean that uh, I'm okay with that. So. Take us through what are some of the other things that you do to really help. And I don't want to. I want to apply this to the general audience too, because there's some people who maybe don't, you know, lead a team specifically, but they always lead themselves or they lead a family or a volunteer group. What are some of the other things that you are coaching your leaders uh, to do better and and to really go to the next level? I think one of the key things that. Um, that I really like, and again, this is it's interesting. I'm kind of revealing myself. I'm a real communications person. But um, and by the way, before I, I tell you that, I just wanted to say that whenever I ask to lead retreats or ask to do big keynotes for companies, I always I won't do it unless I can talk to the employees because I just need to get a feel 
for a diagnosis of what's going on. So I can, I'm a real, you know, I tailor things. And that's so true because nothing is the same for everybody, right? So that's, that, that just, mm-hmm. anyway, one of the f- most important things leaders can do, and you, everybody in the audience can do, is be an active listener. And when I ask audiences, how many of you are active listeners, I get, you know, hundreds of people in the audience, I get maybe two hands. Because we have lost the art. We are so distracted in this world that we really aren't listening actively. We really are with that person. And as leaders, we have a lot on our plate. But when you are with someone in your office or you're with a group of people, you need to be there and be present and listen. And when you do that, you signal that you appreciate them and that you're listening to them and that you value them. And so I really make it a point to teach active listening and what that looks like. And I even say that into the personal space, Ken, you know, when people were going out and working and they come back at the end of the day and your significant other says, how was your day? And, you know, and they, and they're busy doing something and they're really not caring how your day was. I mean, they're just, they're saying it, but to go home one night and ask your spouse, how was your day? And sit down and let them talk to you for 10 or 15 minutes uninterrupted while they tell you without kids, without the phones, without cooking, just being there. And the impact of that alone on a relationship, on anything is just extraordinary. It's very dramatic. So I always tell my leaders that you need to stop and listen, listen, and do not be distracted when people are talking to you. Well, we grew up in a time when there wasn't phones. Uh, and it's, it's so important what Laurie is saying, saying and what you just said, uh, Laurie, around putting those uh, devices away when you're having a conversation. Uh, there was some research that even if I have it on the table face down, it makes a statement, a subliminal statement to the other person that this phone could be a priority over you in a moment. So Absolutely. Uh, if you can... Um, which most of us can, get the thing away from the table. If you can put it inside your pocket, fine, so that it's not a visual sort of cue hanging out there. And, hey, I'm guilty of it too. It's so easy to be addicted to your device and not be an active listener. Now, when we think – we only have about a few minutes left, if you can believe it already. Uh, no. We're just, uh, just scooting through this fairly quickly. Uh, so we're not going to be cutting off yet. But first of all, before I do it, for people to find out more about your work or getting you as a speaker or, you know, as a leadership coach or an auditor or whatever, how can they find out more about you, Lori? Um, you can find me, uh, the best way is my, my website, which is www.lauriebakershenna.com. And you can send me a, a message and, and we can chat. And I, I'd, love to, I'd love to meet your audience. That would be absolutely lovely. Now, spell out your uh, website so that those okay. – because L- Lori can spell different ways. Sure. Okay. It's Lori, L-O-R-I-B-A-K-E-R-S-C-H-E-N-A. Awesome. And then we'll have that in the show notes if people need to find out uh, more about it. Um, any other ways or that they can get a hold of you? You find me on LinkedIn. I'm on, it's funny, I'm on Clubhouse now, which is, I don't know if you've done that yet, Ken, but it's just a kick. And, uh, 
I'm on Clubhouse. You can find me there. And also Twitter, my, my, uh, my handle is Dr. BS, D-O-T-C-O-R-B-S, which comes from Dr. Baker Shenna, and my students used to make that down to Dr. BS. So that kind of became a, a moniker of mine. Yeah, <laughs> and people remember it. It's an acronym that really... Uh... Okay. <laughs> yeah, but it's fun because people remember you. And uh, and when I was traveling a lot, planes and meeting people, I would just say, you know, you can find me here. And they, it's easy to find me. You can even find I have, I have a website, too. I just It's so fun. So that's what I do. But that's my Twitter handle, too. Well, so. I like it. That, that's fun. Now, uh, we just have a few minutes left. So what would, when we think about, you know, wrapping up in words of wisdom for people, from a personal and or organizational leadership point of view and strategies beyond what you've already shared, what would be some things that me as the listener could consider, think about, or implement as soon as I turn off this podcast? I think it's really important that you take an internal audit of your key values and be sure that your actions and what you do and how you, how you show up in the world aligns with those values. And so when you, when you align, when you have a, a passion and a purpose and, and, and if you bring that to your company or to, to the way you, you live, and I call that a personal leadership brand, when you bring that to the table, people know what to expect from you and you really can show up how you want to show up. So I guess as a leader, you want to really, really do a deep dive into yourself and figure out how do I want to show up so that people know me and people can rely on me and people can count on me for being that person? Mm, mm, great. Thank you for that. And I'm going to give you one more minute to say what would you like to say as a closing remarks to the Secrets of Success audience today? Well, you know, I, I also want to say real quick, if we do ever get back into the uh, into the uh, into the world. Remember body language. I think we're going to forget completely about the importance of body language as leaders. But when someone walks into your office, turn away from your computer and look them straight in the eye. And don't forget, I think someday we will be shaking hands again. A firm handshake is still good. So I, I am, you know, I spoke so much pre pandemic about body language and you know, there's Zoom body language. But when we get back into the real world, remember how important eye contact is, how listening is, how you how you show up. Just don't forget your total your total being, not just what you're saying, but how you're looking, and and how you're just interacting in the world. Mm-hmm. Thank you for that. And of course, podcasts live on forever. So uh, this is when somebody's listening to this, I, I'm just going with it. And for sure, and you know, human beings are meant to uh, uh, connect uh, physically. So that's uh, something that we want to continue to endorse or encourage. So thank you, Lori, for hanging out with us, Dr. Lori. And again, your website is L-O-R-B-A-K-E-R-S-C-H-E-N-A.com. Well, let me just go this way. And again, Lori, thanks for being with us. So my pleasure. Uh, really my pleasure. Uh, So Lori's with us, and I want you to think about your leadership. How is it that you can pay attention better? Give the focus to that other individual that's in the room. Are you really, really listening? Hey, I'm guilty of not doing it. What about the ability to be appreciative of the people around you, personally and professionally, and taking what Lori has 
said and applying it to think about somebody even as soon as you turn this podcast off of you just reaching out maybe even just a, a thank you text or or appreciation text of some sort or another now as always thank you for being a secrets of success listener if you like what we're doing please pass it on leave a positive comment on whatever platform you're listening on thank you for listening i'm your host dr kim keys Thanks for exploring the secrets of success with us. If you want to keep the momentum going, log on to crgleader.com. Scroll to the bottom and sign up for our inspirational emails. You can also take your success to the next level by following us on Facebook and Twitter and connecting with Ken on LinkedIn. We hope you have a great week and look forward to you joining us next time for the Secrets of Success podcast with Dr. Ken Keyes.